Why don't we continue clapping to Jesus? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, that we could be here gathered together before you today. We praise you. We worship you. Amen. You can be seated just for a minute. Thank you so much for standing. We are going to stand again in uh, just a moment for the reading of God's Word. And just so the uh, media team has it, let me give you the scripture we'll be reading from so that can be ready. We're going to be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 3 through 10. The book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 3 through 10. And while you're turning there, and I'm turning there because I had the wrong version here, uh, I want to say what a privilege and honor it is to be here with all of you this morning. Amen. Thank you so much for having me back. And um, I, I was, time has flown so much. I told someone, I don't know who I was talking to. I think maybe it was Brother Ryan. I said, yeah, I think I was here about a month ago, and maybe I just missed you. And then I looked at my calendar, and it was actually August. I thought I had been here last month. That's how much time uh, has been flying. But uh, I'm glad to be back here with all of you. Always a privilege. Thank you to Brother Ryan, by the way, wherever he is, for uh, picking me up last night. Appreciate him and his family. And appreciate that what God's doing around here in every family. Amen. It's so good to always see growth um, in, in the people that are here and have been here and also see growth numerically, new faces. It's always a joy to see new faces every time I'm here at Carson City. Amen. So if I haven't got to meet you yet, I would love to meet you after service. I'd love to shake your hand and say hello. Uh, on behalf of my wife, she says to greet you all, tell you hello. She wishes she could be here. And um, I know last time I was here, I, I said, hey, next time I come, it's non-negotiable. She's got to be with me. Uh, see, some of y'all are holding me to that. And uh, I get it. I'm blushing up here. But let me tell you, uh, the reason is my little sister actually was able to come visit us back home. We had that planned for a while before we planned this. And so uh, somebody had to, of course, stay back with her. So she wasn't there alone. So my wife was kind to stay back with her so I could come and be with you all. So thank you for your understanding. She misses y'all. We'll get her back here as soon as possible. I know, I know I get it. I'm not near as fun without her. She's the fun one. She's my better half. So we'll get here and keep, uh, get her here, keep the party going. To your pastor and his wife in their absence, we give them honor. Thank you, Pastor Hood, Sisterhood, for uh, allowing me to be here. We pray safe travels for them when they, whenever they come back home and pray a restful holiday for them with family. Amen. I was thinking while we were worshiping, and thank you to the praise team and musicians uh, for leading us into worship. I was thinking, you know, what we talked about last time I was here. I was thinking, what, what did I preach last time I was here? I remember we talked about the king's table, and we specifically talked about uh, the, the meaning of Mephibosheth's name, which is the end of shame, the destruction of shame. And I just sat there worshiping, just thinking, I am so grateful that God destroys our shame and that we don't have to live in shame any longer, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I, I just felt like saying that this morning before we dive into this text. Is there anyone that would be willing to show the Lord some gratitude that you don't have to live in condemnation, that he brings us out of darkness into his light, that we don't have to live in shame, and that if you are here today carrying a burden or a weight of shame on your back, that the Lord died for you so you could be set free of that shame. He was buried and rose again so you could be set free of your shame. 
Can we just praise him for a minute? I just feel like we need to offer a praise offering of gratitude before we go any further. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you that we don't have to be abound by addiction, depression, or shame, or fear. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done in our lives. And man, I think it's so important in this holiday season to keep that spirit of gratitude for all the Lord has done for us. Amen, amen. Well, what, now that we've, we've worshiped, we've thanked him, let's stand for the reading of the word, and uh, let's read this together once again. So good to see all of you. Thank you always for your kindness, hospitality, and generosity to uh, my wife and I. We love you all. Believe in you all. Amen. I just have something simple today, but I believe the Lord wants to use it to help someone. If you're here and you have already received the Holy Ghost, but because you're still human, you're not perfect, there's problems, trials of life, I believe God wants to speak with, to you and help you hopefully today. If there's someone here you've never received the Holy Ghost, maybe you're new here, you just started coming, maybe this is your first service. First, we're so glad that you're here with us. And man, that's appropriate. We're so honored that you would come and visit us and worship Jesus with us. But let me tell you, if you've never received the Holy Ghost before, maybe you're new, like I said, maybe you've been coming for a while, haven't received it yet. Can I tell you, can I encourage you, seek the Lord and his spirit today. Put him first. Seek him in this altar today in a few minutes, and you can be filled. You can be baptized by the spirit of God, and you will speak in a heavenly tongue. Sounds that are not your native language will come flowing out of your mouth, and you will feel joy and peace like you've never known. God wants to give you that gift today. Amen? How many believe God can pour out his spirit? Amen, amen. All right. Well, I know you're with me. Your faith is here. And more importantly, Jesus is here, so let's dive into it. Luke 15, uh, verses 3 through 10. This is Jesus talking, and the Bible says, He spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he hath found it, he laid it on, lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Amen. If you ever want to know how to start joy in heaven, start a party in heaven, it just takes one person coming forward, lifting their hands and repenting. And angels will be rocking out on their harps and throwing confetti everywhere and rejoicing, amen, over one person. All it takes is one, amen. How much more so if we have several coming forward today and giving their life to the Lord, amen. Let's continue a few more verses. It's another parable, but staying in the same theme. Um, verse 8, either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she finds it. And when she hath found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one person, over one sinner that repenteth. Amen. And I want to take my title from uh, a piece of, from this second parable that was told about the coins and I want to title this sermon today, The Tenth Coin. The Tenth Coin. Amen. Can we put down our Bibles one more time and lift our hands? I believe the Lord is in this place to help us, to heal us, 
No matter what baggage you bring today, whether it be anxiety, fear, addiction, depression, sorrow, I'm here to tell you our Lord and Savior is present in this building today to lift those things off of your back and carry them for you and heal you of those things. Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, in Carson City as it is in heaven, in each of these people's hearts and in my heart as it is in heaven. Let your perfect will be done. Pour out your spirit. Pour out healing. Open people's eyes and hearts for their their need for you. Give someone the revelation of their need to be baptized and have all of their sins washed away forever in the name of Jesus Christ. God, do all this and so much more. What only you can do today. And we give you praise and we give you thanks and we offer you our faith and anticipation of what you're going to do today. Amen. Before you're seated, why don't we clap our hands and give him praise. Hallelujah. 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 You can be seated. Thank you for standing. What we just read were two of my favorite parables. And if you don't know what a parable is, it is a the simple definition is it's a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. That is what a parable is. And uh, excuse me. <coughs> that time of year, the dry cough that uh, keeps persisting. Amen. Jesus would use these parables, these short stories often to teach people, and often these parables would have one clear intentional meaning, but also have layers of additional meaning as well. The clear intent of these two parables that we just read about the sheep and the coin, they are summarized in the last sentence of each parable. Excuse me. Jesus told the story about leaving 99 sheep to go after one, and he said there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. That's the clear meaning of the parable. Then Jesus tells the second story about the woman who frantically, diligently searched her house, found the tenth coin, illustrating the same point as the sheep story. And Jesus said, again, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the clear meaning of these parables. Jesus wants us to understand how much he wants the lost to be found. He wants us to understand his heart and just how much he loves the lost and wants to see them saved. He wants us to understand with these parables that he will go to great lengths to find and save a lost person. He wants us to know that even when someone makes their bed in hell, God's hand is still there reaching for them. Jesus wants us to know with these parables how much he loves us, And no matter what we have done or what has been done to us or what we have seen or experienced, he wants us to know that he can save us, that he can heal us, that he can deliver us, that he can restore us. That's why he gave us these parables. Jesus wants us to get it. He told the story to us twice in two different ways because he wants it to get deep down into our mind and heart that just because someone is lost does not mean they are worthless. 
worthless. Just because someone is lost does not mean they are worthless. Just because someone is living in darkness does not mean they are not worth searching for. This is what Jesus wants us to understand, that his eye is roving, looking for the prostitute who's ready to repent, looking for the adulterer who's ready to repent, looking for the one who's addicted and stressed out and drugged out and broken and hurting. These are the people. Is anybody thankful? These are the people that Jesus specializes in reaching for and saving. This is the clear meaning of the parable that we read this morning. Jesus is looking for you. That's what he wants you to understand. He's looking for you. He wants to bring you out of that depression. He wants to bring you out of the drugs. He wants to bring you out of the anger and the bitterness and jealousy. He wants to bring you out of the confusion. He wants to bring you out of the anxiety, out of the fear, out of the addiction. And he gave us these two stories to let us know that Jesus is willing to look, to leave everything else, to leave the 99 and go after one. Whereas earthly shepherds or others might not feel like it's worth it. Why go after the one when I still have 99? Jesus wants us to understand how valuable we are to him and how much he wants us to be saved and delivered and be set free. Amen. And if you if you've been living for the Lord for a while, perhaps you could close your eyes and you could actually think of a story in real life that illustrates this principle of Jesus leaving the 99 and going after one. Jesus doing things that doesn't make sense to us. But thank God, in his grace and mercy, he does not give up on people that you and I would give up on. I'll never forget, uh, in my home church in Rialto, California, I'll never forget the service where there was a preacher there. And he stopped when he was reading his text because he felt like the Lord prompted him that there was someone there in the building that was on the verge of committing suicide. They were planning how to take their own life, and he felt like that if this person wasn't reached in that service, there's just no telling what could happen afterwards. God stopped this preacher's mouth and stopped him in his tracks and told him, there is one in this congregation of 450 to 500 that I want you to reach. And so the Lord was willing to put everything else aside. There were other problems in the building. There were other trials and situations going on in the building, and the Lord cares about them all, but the Lord said, but there is one that's about to lose everything. There is one that's about to miss out on eternity. There's one that's about to take his life, so I'm stopping everything, leaving the 99 to go after one, and I'll never forget the preacher and his desire to be obedient to the voice of God. He kept on pushing, and that no one came forward. He was inviting that person to stand and pray and, and, and come to the altar and admit where they were at, and, and no one was coming. And, and it was a little awkward at first. It felt a little tense, and no one knew what was going to happen. But God, through this preacher, kept pressing. And I'll never forget the moment when a man uh, who was a, a, a backslider from the church grew up there. His mom, who was a saint in our church, picked him up by his arm, and he was crying and weeping. He stood up with 
his mother, and she began crying, walking him to that front, to that altar. We looked closer and could see that this broken man, he was rail thin, probably from lots of drug use. He had scars all up his arms from self-harm. This was someone that was not in a good place, and he stumbled his way to the altar, fell at his knees, lifted his hands. The church gathered around him and prayed, and I'm happy to tell you that man is still alive today. Don't tell me that Jesus will not leave the 99 to go after the one. That's why Jesus put these stories in the scripture. He wants us to see it and understand it and get that deep down in us. But remember how I told you that parables can also have layers of meaning. I believe there is another lens we can look through to see the parable of the lost coin. Let's revisit this parable really quickly. Bible says that a woman had 10 coins. She lost one. I'm going to paraphrase it. She became extremely anxious and agitated about the loss, and she began to search frantically and relentlessly for the lost coin. She was lighting lamps. She was looking under tables, I'm sure. She was sweeping all the floors in her house. She was looking under the couch cushions. She was checking the refrigerator. She was, you know, all the different places that wouldn't seem likely for a coin. She said, I, I, I don't care. I've got to find this. I'm going to search even in unlikely places. And Eventually, she found the coin, and her joy in finding the coin matched her agitation in losing the coin. She was delirious with joy, so much so that she called together her neighbors to share in her joy, and it looks like she threw a party. By the way, interestingly, the party, which its cost, probably exceeded the value of the coin that she had lost. The party she threw was probably more expensive, certainly, I would say very much so, exceeded the value of the coin that she had lost. So why such anxiety and then such joy over, uh, such anxiety, excuse me, over the loss of a coin and then such joy over the finding of a coin, which value was that of a day's wage? A coin whose value was that of a day's wage. And as I begin to study this out and look at this, I believe that I found, I don't know if I'll say the answer, maybe someone has a different view, but at least a answer, and it lies in the symbolism of numbers in her culture. There's so many things in the Bible that are placed there that are not by accident. It's not mystical. You study it out a bit, and you see the importance of numbers in Scripture. There's, there's a meaning to, to seven. When you see that, this completeness, and, and, and uh, uh, you see this in creation. And, and so the answer for why she got so agitated and then so joyful lies in the symbolism of numbers in her culture because nine, the coins that she had, was not a whole number, but only ten was a whole number. So the woman's anxiety, stay with me here, of losing the coin and her joy in finding the coin have little to do with the value of the coin, but with the value of wholeness. It has to do with the value of wholeness. A certain wholeness in her life had been fractured, and only by finding the coin could it be restored. That tenth coin that she was looking for represents wholeness, and it represents completeness. The woman was anxious and fragmented until she found what she was looking for. She was unable to rest until she found what she was missing. She was not at peace because her life was not whole. And if you are here today 
whether you're a saint of this church or a visitor, and you feel anxious, and you feel restless, and you feel discontent, and you feel unsatisfied, and you feel bothered, can I propose to you that it is because there is something missing in your life? Could it be that just like that woman, the, the reason she was anxious is because there was a piece of her life that was not made whole? Could it be the reason you are anxious today is because you are in need of repair and needing to be made whole? today. You need a certain wholeness and a repair and a completeness in your life today. Is there anybody that would be willing to admit that? Amen. Is there anybody that would be willing to admit that even as a saint of God, my life isn't perfect and I'm not perfect and I've still got problems and I've still got some baggage I want to sort out and I've still got some pain? Come on, somebody. Could it be that the reason you're not sleeping well and the reason why you feel so restless is because there's a place in your life that is not yet been made whole, that maybe you haven't yet surrendered to the Lord. Maybe you hadn't even realized it, but the Lord is bringing it to your attention because he wants to make you completely whole. Jesus is here in this place today to give somebody their 10th coin. Jesus is here in this place to make somebody whole, to take somebody who feels broken and make them whole. Come on, somebody clap your hands if you believe To take someone who feels broken and make them whole. I, I hope there's some honest people. I know there are honest people in the house today who would be willing to admit whether you're here and you're 15, 35, 75, it doesn't matter. That there's something, if there's something in your life that's been nagging at you, it's been bothering you, it's been making you feel a little fragmented and anxious. The Lord doesn't want you to have to go the rest of your life just accepting that and living with that, never working on it. No, the Lord wants to heal all the areas of your life. Amen. The Lord did not save us and, and, and get us converted and born of water and the Spirit so that we just drag ourselves by the collar for the rest of our lives and not live in the abundant, beautiful life that he has for each of us. What he wants to do, what he specializes in, is making a life whole. And he gets greater glory from us when we are at our most whole, when we are complete in him. That's what Jesus wants to do for us today. If you're here and you're a saint of God and you're a Christian, you've been born again, that's so wonderful. But if you're here and you've been battling bitterness, then there's a fragmentation in your life. You are not, you are not in that whole state like Jesus wants you to be. And I don't say that in a con condemn, uh, condemnatory fashion. I say that because the first step towards getting healed of it is by admitting it and confessing it to God, admitting it where you, where you are so you can offer it to him and let him make you whole. There's some of us here today, you might have two coins and you need eight more. Maybe you're new, you just got here and you're still needing some, some more teaching and learning and all that. That's great. Maybe you're here, you've been here for a while and you've got eight or nine coins, but there's still some brokenness. Jesus is wanting to complete it, and he's offering someone the tenth coin. He's offering you the pieces, the coins that you and I might be missing. Amen. Jesus, Jesus specializes in making a life whole. Jesus doesn't do unfinished. Jesus is, Jesus is not some lazy contractor that just, that just starts all kinds of projects but never finishes them. If something remains unfinished, it's because of us, because we have not let the master builder and carpenter continue to work on us and build us. 
He doesn't, he doesn't want that. He, I believe the Lord, when he starts something and, and he wants to go to the next step and, and we're not giving him something and we're remaining in our brokenness, I believe it, 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 it grieves God. And he understands because we're human and we're flawed and problematic and all of that. But I believe the Lord, there's just something in him that aches. Like, I want to complete that good work that I started in you. I, I know it'll never fully be complete till heaven. I know we'll never fully be perfect until then. But the Lord is looking down at some of us saying, hey, I love you you're awesome there's some more scaffolding though that needs to be built and you've got three windows but you're missing five and you got almost the house built but there's a wall that's not been in place yet and come on the Lord wants to take us and make us completely oh it's amazing what God can do with a single life how he can take such broken humanity one person turn their life around and make them completely whole I could give countless examples if I had the time. You could give countless examples, I'm sure. There's a, a lady who I've had the privilege of meeting in uh, Compton, California. And uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm sure you do because many of you are from California and we're so close. Compton is, uh, at least was, I don't know if it still is, uh, one of the most dangerous cities in America. And uh, it's funny, I actually mention uh the testimony of this lady I'm about to tell you, I mentioned it somewhere else, and uh, nobody had heard of Compton. I even mentioned the, the, the song, Straight Outta Compton, that that rapper made it so uh, popular, and no one had heard it. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I'm not old, but I felt really old. But Compton, California, a dangerous place, and it may not be the most dangerous anymore, but it's still very dangerous. And thank God there's at least one that I know of, I'm sure maybe more, apostolic church there had the privilege of preaching there and the pastor there's doing a great work and he's reaching the unreachable he's uh remembering the forgotten he's he's pursuing the people that other people don't feel like they're worth the time and he reached out and uh they, they do a lot of homeless outreach and there's a whole beautiful story behind that but there was this lady who has been homeless for a long time and uh, of course an avid drug user and her life was just in shambles uh was disconnected from her kids you know all this stuff and anyway, the pastor reached out to her, found her on the street one day, invited her to church. Long story short, she comes, she gets the Holy Ghost, she gets baptized, she begins to be discipled, amen, in, in the teachings of the word and, and begins to hear more about Jesus. And I mean, her life is just totally changed. She gets off the drugs, she gets off the street and gets a wonderful, nice home. Uh, she gets a good job, she gets a car, she's been sober for a long time now, and now she goes back into the streets and she brings people who are where she used to be and brings them into the church and feeds them and teaches them Bible studies and disciples them and now she's changing their lives and she's doing more for those homeless individuals because she used to be one for years than many other people who have good motives but have no idea what to do with the problem. Isn't it amazing what Jesus can do when he takes one person and makes them whole again? One person that's willing to admit, God, I'm a little broken or I'm a lot broken. Whatever it is, I'm broken and I need your help. I need to be made whole. It's a Amazing, the, the, the series of events, the positive things that happen. When one person says, Jesus, I've had enough. I'm coming here with my hands raised and my mouth open telling you, make me whole. And the story doesn't end there. She has done such a great work on the streets of Compton with the homeless people. 
that the city of Los Angeles took notice, and Lord knows the city of L.A. needs to because they funnel more money into that problem than anyone else does and nothing gets done. There's a lot of corruption and money laundering, etc. And they noticed what this woman was doing and Time Magazine came out to do a feature article on how this woman's efforts with a small budget, not a, you know, no formal education, but how this woman's efforts changed by the power of Jesus Christ was doing more in the city of Compton than millions and millions of dollars poured into it by some distant politicians and bureaucrats. You've come too late to tell me that Jesus can't make a life whole. You've come too late to tell me that Jesus can't do the miraculous with a single person. Come on, honey. If Jesus could do it with that lady, whatever problem you've got in your life, why don't you try him? Why don't you offer it to him? And don't try him just once. Keep on trying him. Don't pray for five minutes and give up because you didn't see all the results you want to right away. Keep on trying him. Keep on putting him first. Keep on coming to the house of God. Keep on learning your word. Keep on growing closer to him. And watch what he does in your life. He wants to make you whole. Come too late to tell me Jesus can't do this. I've seen Jesus do what nobody else can do. And I'm sure you have as well. And I know that's simple. And I know if you've been coming for a bit, you've heard this this theme in some way preached before. But I'm here preaching it again because some of us maybe have stopped believing it. Maybe we haven't seen the results we wanted to see as quickly as we wanted to see them. So we've kind of thrown in the towel and kind of let our faith drop, and we're not really believing so much. I've just come here to preach a simple message to someone saying, Jesus wants you to believe again because he does have that tenth coin. It is real. Wholeness is real. Completeness is real. You can get out of this cycle that you're in. You can get over this hump that you feel like you've been facing and stuck at forever. Come on, I'm trying to preach to someone that, that you used to believe it, but it's been a long time since you've believed it, and I'm just come to say, have faith again. Be Believe again. God's not done with you. I would dare say that if you took the time to stop and recollect and remember, you would see more things that Jesus has done than you realize. It's amazing we humans, we forget all the time what God has done. This is why over and over in the scriptures, Old Testament and New, the Lord said, remember me. Remember what I've done. In the New Testament, remember my body. Remember my blood. That's because we get so focused on what we want to see done that we forget on what we forget what's already been done. Listen, I understand. We got problems up in the bank account. We got problems in the family. We got problems with our pocketbook and all of that. But don't let the things that you want to see done make you forget what's already been done. Don't let your empty wallet make you forget about the empty grave. Come on, somebody. Don't 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 let your problems make you forget about the purity of Jesus. Don't let the broken things make you forget about the blessed things that God has done and is doing in your life. Because when you remember those things, that gives you enough faith for the future. When you remember what he's done, then you can say, you know what, okay, I have the faith to believe that he can do it again, that he can do more in my life. Come on, somebody. Jesus' hand is outstretched. He's offering wholeness in place of your brokenness. But you got to make up in your mind to accept his offer, to trust in him and believe in him again. Somebody praise him this morning. Jesus said in the gospel several times, your faith has made you whole. And, you know, we often take that to mean that the level or the amount of their faith has made them whole. Like Jesus is saying, hey, 
those people over there were at like 10% faith, but you, you were at like 170% faith. I mean, their meter was here, yours was here, and so that's why you're healed. We, that's kind of how we look at it, and I suppose there's some truth in that, but I don't think that's really what Jesus was getting at when he said your faith has made you whole. He wasn't getting at the level, the gas tank meter of their faith. Jesus, what he was really getting at was the object of their faith, which was him. What made them whole is what or who their faith was in. They had placed their faith completely on Jesus. That's what made them whole. It it, it was that they didn't have Jesus as some side option, but then all these other things that their faith was in too that maybe could make them whole. When Jesus said your faith made you whole, what he was saying is, You have placed all of your faith in the proper direction, in the proper object, which is me. And that's why you are going to be made whole. And this is good news for us. It really is. Because sometimes we think, you know what, I've just got to grit my teeth and sweat and just just clench my fist and just through my own sheer willpower somehow get my faith from level 2 to level 10. And if you've, uh, well, I just would ask you a question. How's that working out for you? I've tried it before. You maybe have too. It it doesn't work. But what really works, rather than focusing on, well, this person might have more faith than me. Pastor Hood probably has more faith than me. Instead, get your eyes off all of that and get it on the proper object of your faith. Because your level of faith is not what heals you. Your willpower and your gritting your teeth is not what heals you. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. So refocus your eyes on him. What made made them whole is who they place their faith in. And, and this is important as well because faith can either make you broken or it can make you whole. It all depends on what or who you put your faith in. Do you realize that about faith? It can make you broken or it can make you whole. just depends who or what you put your faith in. And somebody here, maybe you're new, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're a young person today that says, you know, well, preacher, I don't have faith. That's, that's all cool, good and well, but I don't have faith. Maybe you're listening online. You might say, uh, I don't have faith. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in anything. And, of course, I would kindly disagree and say that that's nonsense because we all have faith in something. It's impossible to be human and not to have faith. No one is faithless. Even if you're not a Christian and you're here today and you're visiting with us, we're so glad. You do have faith. It might be faith in yourself. It might be faith in science. Faith in government, faith in money, faith in relationship, faith in a job. At a low level, you have faith just that every morning that, or every night when you go to bed that you're going to wake up the next morning. That's faith. You have faith when you get in your car and turn it on, it's going to start. Unless some of you have been having some car problems, then your faith's probably pretty low. But you get it. You get the point. No one is faithless, even if you aren't a Christian. And in fact, I would dare say, if you, I would also say if you don't put your faith in God, your faith in some way, shape, and form will end up directed back at yourself. You will have faith in yourself, faith in the things of this world. It's impossible to live this life and not have faith. Even the statement of there's nothing out there, there is no God is a statement of faith. You can't prove that either. We have to live by faith. And today, the reason why so many people are broken and anxious is because they have put their faith in things other than Christ the one who created all of us. They have, and listen, I I hope we're all willing to examine ourselves today because 
Even some of us that know this is true, we nod our heads, we clap our hands, myself included. I'm preaching to myself too. Some of this might apply to us too. The reason why so many people have this fragmentation and anxiousness because they've put more faith in money or more faith in relationships or career or self than they do in God. People are broken because they follow their hearts or their feelings instead of following Christ. Let me just break this down for a second. Excuse me. The modern world lives by a moral code that says this, follow your heart. And, and your inner feelings, your intuitions and desires will tell you right from wrong and will guide you to a happy life. That's, that's the moral code of, of today. Obviously, I don't agree with it. I'm just telling you what it says. This is, this is basically the code of the age summarized. Follow your heart and your inner feelings, intuitions, and desires will tell you right from wrong and guide you to a happy life. And then, just to be accurate, they would say, well, there's one caveat to that, and that is as long as it doesn't harm anyone. As long as you, your efforts of following your heart doesn't harm anyone. So that's one caveat to add to the moral code. Let me just say really quickly, and all this is going to make sense. We're going to tie this together. But, but for those that say, well, as long as you don't harm anyone, first, you can't even define harm without an objective moral standard, Okay. Because, and I'm sure preaching to the choir here, but your definition of harm might be different than mine. And if we can't look to an objective moral standard to define what's harmful, we're forever going to disagree and become fractured and fragmented. There's, there's uh, you know, for me, I think it would be harm to let your child do drugs. There's many parents out there that think it's good and positive to let their child do drugs. So we disagree on what it means to do harm or what harm is. Uh, uh, if you don't have an objective moral standard, who's to say that, that, uh, that, that Hitler is any better than Mother Teresa, et cetera, et cetera. So it doesn't work. This moral code doesn't work, and it just leaves people broken. So that's the first part. But, but let's dive into the, the thick of this. The problem with follow your heart is that it assumes something. That statement assumes something. And it assumes that your heart is a proper compass and trustworthy. That's the assumption underneath that moral code. It, it, it doesn't acknowledge that the heart is actually a mixed bag of good desires and evil desires. Something marked by the image of God, but also by the sinful nature of man. Something that God can do a great work in and something that the enemy can do a great work in. That's the statement doesn't acknowledge the true nature of the heart. This follow your heart view also doesn't acknowledge that the heart can be easily influenced by propaganda, by marketing, by social media, by technology, etc. Not only that, our hearts or our feelings, our feelings can change very easily. Our feelings change based on the weather. From summer to winter, our feelings change based on blood sugar. Some of you might have some peanuts or something right next to you right now. Because if you don't go a few hours without eating your blood sugar tanks, then you know your feelings change too. And you get angry. And you get cynical. Or if feelings can change based on weather, blood sugar, stress, lack of sleep, lack of food, lack of hydration, etc., then why on earth would you ever want to follow your feelings? Something that are that fickle and constantly changing all the time. Why would you want to follow something that is unpredictable and constantly? constantly changing when you have a God who never changes and is constant and is true and is predictable. This is what I want to follow. And if I follow anything else, I will be broken and disappointed in life. 
there's just this lie, this lie today. Follow your feelings. You know, part of that, there's a lie that says your feelings represent your truest self. Those feelings that you get sometimes, those intrusive thoughts, they're there because that's the real you. And it's such a lie, and so many people have fallen to it. So many people today, in today's day and age identify the way they identify and live the lives they live, all kinds of sinful ways, because they believe the lie that the feelings and desires they have represent their truest self. Someone said this, challenging that, that lie, such an incredible statement. He said, whoever said that feelings are more authentic than your will? Whoever said that your feelings are more authentic than your will? Let me give you an example. If there's a, uh, well, I'll just use myself as an example, although I don't ever anticipate or plan this happening, and it's not happening. I, I have a very happy and blessed marriage. But I got married to my wife five and a half years ago, and we made a covenant. And I said, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, I gave her my word that I would be with her till the very end. That was, that was my will. That was my decision. Now, let's say, God forbid, 10 years down the road, that there begins to be a desire creep up in me for someone else. A temptation, and I, I, maybe things are rough and not going well, and I, 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 I'm beginning to look over here, and again, I don't, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm just giving an example. And uh, looking over here, and, and I have this desire to be with someone else for someone else. The modern world would say, well, that's your true self. You need to give in to that desire because the reason you have it, I mean, that's, don't repress it. My goodness, that's, that's the real you trying to come up. But, but actually, what is more authentic than those feelings, which come and go based on different circumstances, what's more authentic is the decision I made at an altar in front of God and witnesses all those years ago when I told my wife I would be faithful to her to the very end. Whoever said that feelings are more authentic than your will? And if you realize that, then if anyone were to become that person in that moment of temptation, they could say, you know what? These feelings might be strong, but I'm going to go with what the word says and I'm going to understand that the decisions I made when I was in my right mind are just as if not, well they're much more authentic than the feelings that I have right now because my spouse and I are in a fight or in a difficult season or we had some loss or some pain and so now there's some struggle. No, I am not going to live according to these feelings. I'm going to live according to the will and decisions that I made in the presence of God to live for him and serve him and do what's right. We've got to kick out this nasty lie because it keeps leaving broken people in its path. This lie that your feelings represent your truest self. That is not true. There is no feeling that is final. Feelings will change and you've got to make up in your mind, I'm going to follow his will and I'm going to follow the right decisions I made when I was in my right mind. Hallelujah. Whoever said feelings are more authentic than your will. Amen. I wish, I wish the, this entire up-and-coming generation and, and everyone of all ages could, 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 in the world today could get that and hear that because there's so many people 
It's not just the young people. I'm, I'm seeing people, and you see it in the news, you hear about it in stories, people that have been married 20 years, but because there's this lie that's starting to creep up, all of a sudden they'll leave their spouse and they'll, they'll go and enter into some homosexual relationship. They'll go and change their gender. Why? Because they had these feelings, they had these desires, and I can't repress them anymore because they must be real and true. No, that is not true. This is what decides what is right and wrong. And if God says that, that you can can live a good and pure life if you follow him and follow his word, then you've got to believe that and put his will and put truth before your feelings. Amen. We've come to a place where we worship feelings more than anything else. I'm not saying feelings should always should just be ignored, and I, I'm not saying we should put our head in the sand. Feelings can be a good indicator of where we're at and what's going on in our lives. I'm not saying we should just be robots and live in denial. We can acknowledge them and ask God, why am I feeling this? But we shouldn't follow the feelings. They're meant to be a pointer, perhaps, to something. Hey, you're feeling this because you need to eat, because you need to sleep, whatever. But we're not supposed to worship them and follow them. Following your feelings... It's like you're following your own thoughts. You're worshiping your own thoughts. We were never called or designed to worship our own thoughts. If I tried to define myself by every thought that passed through these two ears every day, I mean, I'd be crazy. We'd all be crazy. I don't worship these thoughts. These are unreliable. I'll pay attention to them. I'll pray over them. I'll see what they're trying to point to. But at the end of the day, the scripture says, his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher. And so I'm not going to worship my thoughts no matter how strong they are, no matter how strong the feelings are. I'm going to worship his thoughts every time. You say, what are God's thoughts? They're right here. Here's a collection of God's thoughts. And we've got to make up in our mind as saints of God, whether you're new here, I'm preaching to everybody. We've got to make up in our mind no matter how strong the feelings of fear are, no matter how strong the feelings of anxiety are, no matter how strong the feelings of depression are, I am going to worship his thoughts over my thoughts every time. I'm going to bend my knee and bend my mind and, uh, uh, to serve and worship his will and his thoughts over my own. I'm going to submit my mind to his mind, to his word, to his will. I'm not going to keep worshiping my own thoughts because it leaves me broken and confused. I'm going to worship God's thoughts every time. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to make up in your mind, I want to be whole. I, I don't want to be broken anymore. And so I send away those thoughts. I send away those lies. I send away the hopelessness. I send away the anxiety and the fear that's been plaguing me for too long. And God, I'm going to get this word and memorize it and get it in my heart. I'm going to quote it. I'm going to walk around and declare it. Amen. Every time the thoughts try to lie to me, I'm going to declare one of your thoughts right back at it. Every time the thoughts try to say that, that it's too late, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qu uh, quote the scripture back to it. Luke 10, 19. Amen. Rejoice not against me. Oh, excuse me. That's the wrong scripture. Amen. That's, uh, that's in the Old Testament. Amen. I thought I had Luke uh, 10, 19 memorized, and it, uh, it just slipped me. Amen. It was one that I would quote in Bible college all the time because when I gave my life to God, came out of darkness into his light, the enemy was after me. Amen. But I would quote those scriptures over and over and over and over. Amen. I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. Thank you. I'm almost 30 years old, and I think I'm slowing down a little bit up here. But we've got to memorize those scriptures and quote them back to the lying thoughts that come up in our mind. When our thoughts say that we'll never change, what does God's thought say? His thought says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we can change. So who will you believe? Who 
will you believe? Who will you worship? Your thoughts, your mind, or God's mind? Amen. This, this is a recipe to success. If we want to get out of the brokenness, if we want to be made whole, we've got to apply what's being preached today. This insidious idea, i got to hurry, this insidious idea uh, lurking under the mantra, follow your heart, is that you are free to decide good and evil for yourself. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The primal temptation to Adam and Eve was to redefine good and evil based on the desires in their heart and the voice around them, rather than on what God said was good and evil. To redefine good and evil based on the desires in their heart and the voice they were hearing in their head, Satan speaking to them, rather than on what God said was good and evil. To seize autonomy from God and become their own God. And listen, this is the primal temptation under all other temptations for all of human history, to follow self instead of follow God. And if you think that us Christians in the church aren't also tempted by that and don't also have ways in our life that we follow self or are tempted to, then you are sorely mistaken. We're still human, and it's a temptation. It's always that whenever we start veering off and we start going, going on the path we shouldn't, it's always because we are beginning, we're, we're tempted to follow self rather than follow God. As long as any of us give our minds, our bodies, our hearts, all of our attention to things and ideas other than God, you will always feel empty, discontent, scattered, anxious, fragmented, and dissatisfied. But if you put all your faith in him, which takes practice and takes time, but if you keep centering yourself on him, putting your faith in him, he will make you whole. Maybe you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel. You've never been baptized in the name of Jesus in water to have your sins washed away. And you've not yet been filled with the Holy Ghost, with that beautiful heavenly language coming out of your mouth. Maybe you have no coins. Jesus wants to save you today. And he wants to start making deposits into your spirit. Start investing into you and make you whole. Maybe you're here today and you got converted many years ago and you've grown a lot. It's so beautiful. But you've still only got nine coins. And there's something missing in your life. There's an area that's broken. I mean, why don't the musician come? You know, just because we get converted and born again doesn't mean that everything automatically is yet made whole in our life. New birth is the required beginning. But it's just that, a beginning. The Holy Ghost doesn't take away all our problems. But it does make us a new man or a new woman to face our problems. But that's just it. You have to face them. You have to face them. God has given us the tools. He's given us the strength. He's given us himself, which means we don't have to face any problem alone. He's given us the church. He's given us what we need. But we've got to decide, I will face them. I will face them. Because I didn't get into this Christian thing to just stay where I'm at. I didn't get into this Christian thing to live less than an abundant life. I didn't live, get into this Christian thing to just live in a spirit of depression or anxiety for the rest of my life. I want to be made whole. Whole. Some of us have nine coins, but we're missing the tenth. We've allowed Jesus to heal so many areas of our lives, but we're still missing something because we haven't allowed him into every area. And so we're kind of anxious and we're fragmented and we're just restless and we don't know why. Well, 
You're like the woman in the story we read in the beginning. That's why. There's, there's a piece that needs to be put together in your world. We've not yet allowed Jesus to make us whole. We haven't given him all of our brokenness. There's a story that illustrates this that is similar to the lost coin analogy. Just, just stay with me. We're coming to a close here. The story of the rich young ruler offers us some wisdom for today as well. You know, the rich young ruler is actually many of us. Those that don't know the story, it was not, it, the Bible doesn't say the rich young punk. This, this was a young man, the Bible says he kept the commandments from his youth up. Jesus loved him. The Bible says Jesus looked at him and had a love for him. This was a good young man. And it's like many of us, we want to please God. We want to be righteous, keeping the commandments, working hard. But whenever Jesus comes and offers us more, when he offers us wholeness, many of us walk away, reject the offer. Because there's something we don't want to surrender, we don't want to give up, something we don't want to face. And we walk away. A lot of us look at the rich young ruler as bad. The Bible doesn't say that he walked away bad. Scripture tells us that he walked away sad. And many of us here today that maybe fit, if the shoe fits what I'm preaching today and you're, and you're wearing it, you're not bad. But there is a sadness that you've inherited. Because there is something that we don't want to let go of. In this man's case, it was his love of wealth. But in our case, it might be a grudge that we don't want to let go of. It might be forgiveness that we don't want to extend because we feel like if we forgive someone, we're letting them off the hook. You understand when you forgive someone, it's not letting them off the hook. When you forgive someone, what you're saying is, Lord, I trust in your justice more than anything else. I trust that you keep good books and you will take care of this. I'm not talking about putting yourself in a dangerous situation. I'm not talking about removing healthy boundaries. I'm saying forgiving in your heart of hearts, forgiving. It doesn't let them off the hook. It puts them in the hands of God instead of in your hands. Maybe we're not the rich young ruler not wanting to surrender his unhealthy love of wealth, but bitterness, like I said, that we refuse to release. Pride that we won't surrender to God. Whatever the case may be, jealousy and envy, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean you're all bad. That's not what I'm saying, but it does mean that there will be a sadness, a discontent until you take Jesus up on his offer. Some of us clapped our hands earlier when talking about following Jesus and not following our hearts. We think that if we're Christians, we just don't do that because I have decided to follow Jesus, right? And that's beautiful. But while we may not fall into the same trap exactly the way the world does it, all of us Christians can be guilty of following our heart rather than following Jesus as well. All of us, from the preacher to you. Let me ask you a question. If your heart is full of fear and you let fear dictate your actions, I'm not talking about just a bad day. I'm not talking about just you almost get hit in traffic so you feel fear. That's normal. That's, that's a good thing. That's fine. I'm saying if there's consistent fear, it's been in your life. Your heart's full of it. And you let fear dictate your actions. Then aren't you following fear? Has that become your Lord? You know the most common command in all of Scripture is do not be afraid. In all of Scripture, Old Testament and New, the most common command is fear not, don't be afraid. 
Jesus wants to deliver someone from fear that's been dictating your actions and controlling you. If you or I refuse to repent or apologize because we feel pride swelling up in us, in our hearts, then aren't we following our hearts too? If we, if we, if we forgive, if, if we refuse to forgive because there is so much bitterness in our heart, then aren't we following our heart too? If we refuse to love because there's anger in our heart, aren't we following our hearts too? And as we said earlier, every time we follow our hearts, it will leave us more broken than before. But Jesus is offering us wholeness today. The rich young ruler had plenty of money, but he wasn't made whole. He had nine coins, but he was still missing something. Jesus offered him the tenth coin, wholeness, intimacy with Jesus. And the young man rejected his offer. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just kind of raise the hand in your mind when I ask this question. Is there anyone here that has been craving rest? Is there anyone here that feels tired all the time? Is there anyone here that feels restless? No matter how many of those packages you order on Amazon that show up, and you get a small dopamine release when you open it, uh, you're still just not satisfied. No matter how many vacations you take, where you go, and that's all wonderful and a blessing, you should take vacations. You should go with your family. You should get rest. But you do those things and you still feel restless. That means there's something that Jesus wants to take care of that only he can heal. He gives a rest that goes deeper than any night's sleep, any soft bed, any vacation. He wants to give you the rest for your soul. The whole reason that the body of Jesus was broken is so that we don't have to live broken. The whole reason that he was broken and his ribs put out of place and blood pouring from all parts of his body and a crown of thorns on his head, dying on a cross, the whole reason he was broken is so that we could be made whole. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to live in that place. He's offering the tenth coin today. Jesus is here to make you whole. Jesus made me whole 12 years ago. And then he did it again and again and again and again because it's not just a one-time thing. There's an issue that needs to be made whole, and then you go through life. Maybe, God forbid, trial happens, a loved one dies. There's a brokenness. There's pain in your life, and you need him to make you whole again. As long as we're human and have this flesh and, and, and blood, it's, we're going to keep needing to come to the foot of the cross and recognize, God, I've been following self, following my heart rather than following you. I've got some brokenness in my life, and I need you to make me whole. I know I've preached here enough to where most of you have heard my story, and <laughs> forgive me repeating myself. And man, I don't mean to bore you. I'm in closing. But I know there's some new faces here, and I just felt to close with this. Twelve years ago, uh, about 17 years old, I was hopelessly broken. Hopelessly. I thought hopelessly broken. Excuse me. Felt hopelessly broken. Drugs, alcohol, parties. I, was, I would steal man, I was a thief. I would break the commandments of God. I'd go into airports and steal expensive things out of airports. I'd break into cars and steal things. I'd steal prescription pills out of people's medicine cabinets and 
cigarettes and would uh, smoke all the weed I could find and, and pop all the prescription pills and drink everything I could drink, try to find some kind of satisfaction at the bottom of a bottle, the bottom of a prescription pill bottle, whatever it might be. I would go to church sadly. I would go to church high. I would go to school high. I would, my life was horrible. I tried to drown out all the pain of my world in entertainment. I'd stay up way too late watching movies I shouldn't watch, playing video games I shouldn't play. Almost got held back in school because I skipped so much school with people I shouldn't be with. 14 years old, sneaking into parties, college campuses, and being with people much older than myself. Can't remembering what dancing with them and, and, and drugs and alcohol and, and the next morning couldn't remember what happened the night before. And all, the, all the typical stuff, stories of the world, the stuff they tell you will make you happy and satisfy you and all it does is make you worse. So I was broken. Backslidden preacher's kid trying to find answers and meaning running from God. But there was finally a day. You know, Jesus had been offering me some coins and saying, Brennan, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to keep hurting yourself. Why are you self-sabotaging? You don't have to live every day wanting to take your own life. I've got something more for you. And finally, 17 years old, a tragic event happened in my life that drove me to my knees. It was so painful, but now I look back and thank God that he brought me to rock bottom so I could get on my knees and say, God, I am sick of this. I'm tired of running. Here's my brokenness. Here's my drugs. Here's my movies. Here's my friendships. Take everything. I don't care, but I am sick of living this way. I've become a monster that nobody wants to be around. And if I don't change quick, it's going to get even worse. And the monster's going to grow. And I'm going to end up dead in a ditch or in a jail cell somewhere or worse. God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I repented of my sins in a small storage closet in my grandfather's basement. And I cried. And I wept. And I was in that room for almost two days. Not because it took God two days to forgive me, but because I was just basking in his presence. I didn't want to leave after years of depression and anxiety, years away from God. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, would you take me back? Lord, would you make me whole? God, I don't care if I have to just clean toilets in the church for the rest of my life. I'll just be happy to be out of this darkness. God, set me free. The Lord came into that room. He renewed me in his spirit. I began to speak in other tongues as the spirit of God gave the utterance. Amen. A few months later, God helped me to pull it together and barely graduate high school with a diploma. But he helped me get through it, told me to go off to Bible college where I went, and I began to learn the scriptures, and I began to finally get a foundation in God because I had left God during the crucial years of my life. What was God doing? He was making me whole. He began to give me a prayer life. I began to hear the voice of God for the first time after years of hearing the voice of suicide and depression and the nasty lying voices of this world now I was hearing the voice of my Savior. I was changed. I was set free. God had made me whole. And moment by moment, month by month, service by service, year after year, God just kept making me more whole and more whole. And maybe a problem would pop up. Something happened in the family. And, ooh, there's the pain and brokenness. I'd give it to him again. And God would do what he'd do. And with his loving grace and a little bit of time, he would show me back up and make me whole again and give me that tenth coin. Time would go on, and I'd forget about his goodness and drop a coin and then realize, oh, there's some brokenness again. Go back to God. He'd give me the tenth coin again. That's how good and 
merciful he is. And that's what he wants to do for somebody in this place. He has the tenth coin. He has your answer. He has your healing. He has your wholeness. You've got to be willing to say, God, take me. Here I am. Here's some things I've glossed over. Here's some things I've ignored. Here's some things I didn't want to admit. But God, I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to be healed. I'm ready to be set free. I'm ready to be made whole. God, I will take you up on your offer. I wonder if we could stand all over this house. Hallelujah. Jesus is here to make somebody whole. Just like he did, amen, with the man who was possessed by a devil. Amen. But God sent the devil out of him. And the Bible says that he came sitting at the feet of Jesus and was clothed and was in his right mind. There's a reason why scripture used those words. Sitting at the feet of Jesus represents worship. It represents proper spiritual posture. That's where we're all supposed to be at the feet of Jesus. Him being clothed has to do with his physical needs being met. And him being in his right mind has to do with his mental and emotional needs being met. What happened? In one moment when Jesus healed this man. Jesus took care of his physical needs, his spiritual needs, and his mental and his emotional needs. In other words, Jesus made him whole. And if Jesus could do it for him, he can do it for you. Amen. You got physical needs that are that are in trouble and, and you got problems in the bank account, Jesus can help you. He can bring some wholeness there. You've got some mental and emotional stuff, Jesus can bring some wholeness there. You got some spiritual problems, Jesus can bring some wholeness there. I wonder how many people would be willing, amen, to lift their hands, lift their hearts, and even take some steps forward as a symbol of faith to this altar today and say, God, I'm ready to be made whole. God, here's this thing. Here's this issue. I'm I'm giving it to you again. I want to be whole in every way that I can. Come on. He's offering you better life. Don't be like the young ruler that rejects it and walks away. Not bad, but sad. You don't have to live in that discontent. Jesus has more for you. Come on, if it's been a long time since, I know I preach about this a lot. I feel like the last few times I've been here, I don't know why I can't get away from it. But there's a joy that some of us have not been living in that God wants to give us. Come on, there's a joy. There's a joy. There's a joy. Hallelujah. He wants to heal your brokenness and give you a joy like you haven't felt in a long time. Come on, but some of you got to make up in your mind, I will joy. Joy is not really is not really so much about something I feel, but something that I do. Joy in the Lord. Rejoice as the text we read today. Lord, I choose to joy in you again. I choose to celebrate even though everything in me is telling me to stay depressed. I will follow you over my feelings. I, I will joy again. I will joy again. Hallelujah. I'll get together with my family and have a nice meal and go out and do something fun. Why? Because I'm choosing to joy in you. I'm choosing to celebrate. I'm choosing to let you make me whole instead of living in the brokenness. Hallelujah. Come on. That's it. That's it. That's it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is dealing with, I believe, several different things this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Several different things happening, and the Lord can touch them all and heal them all at once. Hallelujah. Come on, this is not to condemn you. This is to help you. He loves you so much. Don't you dare feel condemned. If you feel the condemnation of the enemy, reject it. Kick it out so you can hear the voice of God. Hallelujah. He loves you. That's why he's talking to you today. He's not mad at you because you got some brokenness you haven't been able to shake yet. He loves you. He's here to help you. 
Hallelujah. Your brokenness bothers him more than it bothers you. He wants you to be made whole because he loves you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, come on, somebody. Lift your voice and seek after him. Come on. I know we say it all the time, but you've, you, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. He loves you. It's time for you to realize your identity and what you have a rightful access to. Come on, your father's the king of kings. You have your, your, your rightful inheritance is joy and peace that the world does not have. It's high time you claim it. It's high time you walk in it. Come on, and if you're here and you're not yet a child of God, you can become one. Lift your hands, lift your heart, repent of your sins and worship God. And in a few moments, your mouth can begin stammering and trembling and God can fill you with his spirit. Come on, but we got to seek after him. This is beautiful. Let's keep seeking after him. That's it. They're going to sing and worship. We're going to get lost in the presence of God. If you need the Holy Ghost, don't leave here without seeking him. Don't leave here without pursuing him. There's a beautiful healing touch of the Lord in this place.
See? 